Welcome back to Just to Colonize. I am your host, Jess, uh, aka of the gods, BKA J Money, etc. etc. <laughs> um, this episode today um, is part of a series, and this is part one. Um, a case of colonialism and its deep ramifications. Um, in today's part one of this series, I am going to be talking about the Caribbean and specifically uh, the island of St. Vincent, where I currently reside with my family and some of the things that have been happening here um, and what that tells us and teaches us about the state of international world affairs, as well as the state of the quote unquote global South, i.e. developing countries, those developing countries of the world, um, about politics, about the politics of race and the politics of class. Um, as many of you know, I am a Caribbean American woman, which simply means that I was born and raised in the Caribbean, but possess American citizenship by way of the um, territorial status of the island upon which I was born. The U.S. Virgin Islands is a U.S territory which means that it is a possession of the continental united states of america as a possession of the united states territories which include the u.s virgin islands puerto rico guam american samoa and northern mariana islands uh, do not have full citizenship rights uh, many of us actually have those belonging to the island territories I recently listed. We possess a uh, varying sets and types of relationships to the mainland U.S., as in our political status varies. So some of us born um, in these islands may directly possess a full American citizenship while others of us may be classified as American nationals, for example. Um, um, that would be the case of those who are born in American Samoa. As an American national, you have to fully apply to become a full American citizenship, um, a full American citizen and get full American citizenship. All U.S. territories and the members therein do not have the right to vote in the federal national elections. They cannot vote for the president that presides over them and their islands. Um, and they do not get a voting delegate to Congress to represent them either in the legislature. So we have limited rights in the executive branch and the legislative branch. Um, and the only rights where we actually... Um, perhaps have some kind of leverage is in the judicial branch, meaning that in the courts we will be tried to the fullest extent of American law, as is applicable, right? 
But in terms of how we are protected and how legislation is drafted on our behalf to the fullest extent of the American law, there are absolute limitations to that. Um, so as a territory, as you might imagine, there are severe restrictions to how we live day to day, to how we might be able to manage and administer our economy and plan for our futures, to the ways in which we handle our political affairs even. Um, and, 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 and all of that has consequence for what it really even means to be a global citizen, um, to be a human, to live, to live in a society fairly, justly, and equitably. That is a context of a U.S. territory. However, in the remainder of the Caribbean, um, because of the history of colonialism that really um, defines the region, right? Colonialism that has spanned since the 14th, 15th, 16th century. Um, there are so many political and economic issues that persist in, even in the wake of formal colonialism as it was exercised by the British, the French, the Dutch, the Spanish, and even the Danish. Um, many islands of the Caribbean, most of them today, are... Uh, nominally independent. And when I say nominally, what I mean is that most island nations have um, full independence in that they fought at some point, uh, primarily for most islands during the period of the 60s and 70s, for the decades of the 60s and 70s, for uh, freedom and political freedom specifically from their former colonizers. And so the local inhabitants of those islands who were descendants of African, enslaved Africans brought from the western coast of the, the, the mainland continent of Africa uh, represent the majority of the population on most of these islands. Um, included within a demographic are also, for many of the islands, this is um, generally speaking, uh, Creole populations that are a mixture of the indigenous population, um, the African descendants, as well as the European population that colonized the space. And so on every single island, there are varying makeups to that Creolized population, right? A, a Creole can be someone who um, is simply a descendant of, strictly a descendant of, of, of Europe, and have been on the island for many decades and their ancestry has, has persisted in the island over centuries sometimes even, or it can be someone who literally has mixed ethnicity um, and can classify along various and multiple races. However, um, what we do know about 
the Creole population and even race and how race as a construct has manifested itself um, in the quote unquote post-colonial era for these island nations is that the hierarchies around race that very much perpetuated and fueled the plantocracy, right, and the plantation system have continued and have had such immense uh, repercussions on the day-to-day life and experiences of those who live in these islands and, and remain here up until present day. For example, on the island of St. Vincent, like I mentioned earlier, where my family ancestry resides and comes from, um, there is a very intense class system that exists here. And I have been living here for, or residing here, living here for approximately nine months, eight to nine months now, and have spent a great amount of time studying the people and the place, the politics, the economy, um, the social infrastructure, and the ways in which people have um, people I have made uh, sense of their identities, their subjectivities, and their positionalities in this space. That is to say, I have witnessed and examined the ways in which people figure themselves into the landscape. Who knows themselves to be black? Who knows themselves to be white? Who knows themselves to be other? And some of the privileges, attributes, access, resources, and tools that are attributed to such an understanding and such an identity status or the lack thereof. And what I found, which has held to be true, for many other islands beyond this very one is that those who have become identifiably Creole or are identifiably part of the old aristocracy that once ran the island absolutely situate themselves um, at the top of the racial hierarchy that comes to define what society in these islands looks like and means. On the island of St. Vincent, um, there are a great amount of issues. Uh, principle among them is that of poverty and the economic crisis that um, has befallen this nation and has been its um, marker for a number of years, if not decades. I believe the recent statistic, the most recent available statistics uh, because a matter of availability of statistics and information um, on public information and data um, is its own crisis and problem. Um, and so we use what we have based upon what the government decides to release to the public um, and submit to various world agencies for demographic purposes. But according to what has been released and what we have access to, the poverty rate in St. Vincent is near, if not above, 50%. Um, that is that um, more than half of the population lives in poverty. And this has been such a tricky issue because at one point or another, um, 
elected officials have championed behind the notion, deluded and all, that this island is not in poverty and that Vincentians, in fact, have been doing well. And I think a quote goes something like, look around, do Vincentians look like they're in poverty? And what has been so fascinating about this kind of narrative is the way in which it very deliberately erases the political economy of the place and space. But more than that, how it actually dismisses the devastation that has befallen the people of this island and continues to impact the way that they can live on a day-to-day basis. On other occasions, same elected officials, when it has been convenient, have pleaded um, and implored various international monetary agencies and relief organizations to send aid and to lend a hand because we were in utter crisis and in an utter state of poverty. And so the switching of the narrative has been quite fascinating to witness and to hear and to process because um, it is almost as though the status of poverty and those who are subject to it um, is just as much a bargaining chip as any other thing someone would gamble with, right? And, and ultimately behind this effort and behind this kind of practice of admitting and denying the state of poverty for a particular place, um, an island and, and society um, becomes a game of what do we stand to gain if we admit and what do we stand to gain if we... Uh, or, what, or rather, what do we stand to lose, right, if we admit it? And, and what might we stand to gain if we deny it? Um, and even vice versa, right? Because at some point, there is something to be gained from within a particular moment of crisis. When we admit, when one admits, when a leader of a country admits that the country that he or she is presiding over is in fact in deplorable economic conditions, Right. There's a way in which that can generate the sympathy of those world leaders who are, by and large, responsible for the state of affairs in that given place. Um, And so it serves a particular and distinct function. On the other hand, um, so as to not present oneself as incompetent or corrupt or depraved, one might go above and beyond to relentlessly deny the existence of said poverty and deplorable conditions. But what falls in the gap, what, what is forsaken in the process, in that swinging, in that back and forth, is the actual reality of the people who must endure what is, in fact, an economic and political and ultimately humanitarian crisis. On April 9th, 2021, La Soufre volcano erupted on the island of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. That eruption was predicted years, months ago. 
the most recent predictions that warranted the mobilization of various government agencies and um, personnel happened um, around the months of November and December of 2020. Those who held positions of leadership within the government in their respective branches, divisions, and departments were notified that an eruption was imminent and that things should be put in order and arrangements should be made so that those who live within the red zone, which is the immediate vicinity where the volcano resides, should be prepared and um, ready to evacuate in the instance of an eruption. On April 8th, such an alert was officially made and um, mandatory evacuation had been officially called. Individuals residing within the red zone of the island of St. Vincent had been asked to gather their things, belongings, and otherwise to be evacuated from their areas by boat or by public transport, publicly provided land transport. Many individuals waited for hours to receive public transportation out of their villages to the southern part of the country where the green zone is and where the public shelters to house evacuees had been set up. There were over 84 public shelters and a number of hotels and resorts were mandated to make rooms available. We also had a fleet, um, or at least, I think, um, one or two cruise ships on standby. Royal Caribbean, I think, is a cruise line who had um, offered its services to provide boarding for those who were evacuated upon their vessels, their sea vessels, as they remained docked. Other individuals were able to evacuate the island completely and leave by boat to surrounding islands that had graciously opened up their borders to Vincentians and those living here. Um, islands like Grenada and um, St. Kitts and St. Lucia, for example, uh, made themselves available to those who had been impacted directly by the hurricane and could no longer stay in their own homes. There was a great amount of controversy around this entire process of evacuating individuals and housing them. But perhaps what stood out the most and was um, frighteningly stark was the utter lack of dignified preparation that had been in place or not been in place for those who would have to respond by fleeing their homes in the event of the eruption. Individuals stayed in public shelters um, for at least hours without food, water, and proper accommodations. And what that meant was that... Um, getting the kind of aid and access and also the security and safety they needed was 
a, a troubling adventure at in endeavor and ultimately an adventure that many had to endure. My own relatives had to evacuate from um, the north. They resided in a village um, a few miles from the volcano and had originally been sent to a shelter in our area, a village over from the village where we live. And after learning that said family members had been without food, proper food and adequate water and adequate supplies and even a place to lay their heads, they were on the ground. We ended up rescuing them and bringing them into our home and making room for them to stay with us. And what had happened um, in, in the aftermath of, of um, people's evacuation to the shelters made super clear to many of us that there was a political and economic crisis happening within this country, but in fact that had been happening for many decades, but was really culminating in this particular moment of disaster and crisis in a remarkably challenging way and in a remarkably expository way too. Many of the issues, the infrastructural issues that have defined this island nation um, for perhaps its entire existence were laid bare for all of us to see who had eyes to see and, and witness. And it has been troubling. It has been deeply, deeply troubling. Environmentalist scholar uh, Robert Bullard and Beverly Wright uh, theorize about the consequences of disaster. But more than that, in fact, they talk about the precursors to disasters and what they utterly, what they um, ultimately, and I would say utterly, actually, posit is that natural disasters like that of earthquakes, hurricanes, and this volcano are actually um, preceded <laughs> by other sets of unnatural disasters. And these unnatural disasters are disasters that do not occur necessarily from the organic movements and systems and cycles of the natural environment, but rather they happen through the constructed systems of society and humanity. Because of the imbalances of power and, and access and resources and privilege, the ways in which disasters are more likely to occur and more importantly, the ways in which they are um, impactful and to whom they impact um, and at what degree and extent is deeply tied up in, with the systems that actually 
exist outside of the frame of a natural disaster. So very basically, the kind of government structure that one has, right? Um, who leads it, the way it is controlled, the way that power is shared or hoarded, um, the kinds of healthcare infrastructures that are in place or not, the delinquency of certain government officials or agencies, the lack of funding to certain programs, um, the lack of social welfare, right, and, and support systems to certain groups of people. All of these kinds of societal structures and systems that are crafted by human imagination, they all impact the ways in which a disaster can occur and then be mitigated. In St. Vincent, what we understood very quickly was that there was a deficit in the kinds of systems and structures that make up this island. But what has to be really clear is that this is not a unique case, right? What has happened and is happening in St. Vincent is something that happens and is happening in many other Caribbean island nations, particularly those that find themselves on, um, or rather in this very liminal and nebulous space of independence where technically, they run their own um, affairs politically. They don't answer to the metropole, but uh, practically and economically, they must rely on very exploitative systems of financing in order to even survive as a small island nation within the Caribbean region. And so many nation states, island nation states, find themselves um, in debt, in perpetual cycles of debt that they cannot for the life of them, get out of. Here we can reference the, the nation of Haiti and its centuries-long debt it had to France that was only recently expunged or canceled. The predicament of coloniality and its consequences um, is one that ravages. <laughs> it is a predicament that um, confines, that restricts, that debilitates, and ultimately kills. And the killing of people happens both directly and indirectly. This volcano here in St. Vincent, it is um, not over. It has not ceased. While... International news sources have no longer made this story a part of their cycles. What is happening in St. Vincent is still very much so a real present tense occurrence. It has not happened. It is still happening. And so it is important that we all keep our eyes open to the ways in which disaster can really expand and exacerbate, particularly when no one is paying attention. Most recently, um, notification was sent to evacuees residing in public shelters that they must return to their homes in the north. Now, this has been deeply troubling for many of us because there are homes in 
the northern villages of Georgetown, Orange Hill, Sandy Bay, Oya, Overland, and so forth that have been completely decimated because of the pyroclastic flows and ash plumes that blanketed those entire villages. People's roofs have caved in, homes are covered in ash, beds have been destroyed, fields, crops, livestock have all been compromised because of the volcano and its eruption. And while individuals have been working, individuals and agencies have been working to clean up the areas, what is the state of the North is nowhere near ready for individuals to return to. The circumstances and conditions of the villages of the North near La Soufre are not hab yet habitable. And yet people are being mandated to leave their respective public shelters, and they must return home. And more than that, law enforcement officials have been sent into shelters to enforce this policy and to force individuals to go back to homes that cannot hold them, that cannot house them, to go back to homes that do not even exist. And so we are left asking ourselves, why? What is the impetus for such a senseless policy and decision. Why would now be the time for leaders of this country to ask individuals to go home? Well, the speculation can run the gamut. It can run the gamut. But I put my money on the fact that what we are dealing with are some of the deep-seated issues inherent to a nation state that is in and has continued to be in a cycle of debt that has a lack of well-structured and established social, economic, and political safety nets and infrastructures to support individuals who live at the bottom of the rung and who have been consistently relegated to the margins of this society. We have received over a billion dollars, U.S. and pounds, in respective proportions, of aid since the eruption of this volcano. And so the money that we've gotten is supposed to be allocated to the renovation, revitalization, and recovery of the areas that have been damaged by the volcano and also is supposed to be allocated to the individuals themselves, families that have had to be dislocated from their homes and live in shelters, <laughs> public community shelters. We have received funds and a budget was recently passed about a few weeks ago saying that some of those funds will go towards giving people cash in their hands, 800 EC dollars. Um, the going rate for, from EC to US dollars is um, one US dollars gives you 267 EC. So in effect, they have received around 350 or something. I'm not really good with math. Something US dollars. 
Um, and so I, I, I guess the, the assumption must be then that because individual evacuees, not all, mind you, have received some kind of monetary compensation for this disaster, that now it is absolutely okay and permissible for them to go back into the heart of danger. Just yesterday, there were fumes erupting from the volcano. This volcano is not done yet. While it has ceased its explosive eruptions and ash plumes have not emitted all the way to the south like the first eruption on April 9th, many people living within the immediate proximity to the volcano have consistently been feeling tremors, earthquakes associated with the eruptions, right? And the movement of energy within the volcano's dome as well as the smoke and fumes. And many others continue to testify, who, those who have visited and those who ended up staying within the region um, for, for various reasons, have continually testified to the degree to which the entire atmosphere has been darkened by the ash plumes and has prevented fresh circulation of air and has inhibited proper breathing for so many. And these are the circumstances under which those who have been living in the South temporarily must return to. This is what Vincentians must put up with. This is what they must just accept. You know, I talk about colonialism within this context of disaster um, because it applies, right? Because it is relevant. The way that our historical models of domination in the world impact how individuals can live after the reign of particular nation states and people um, matters, <laughs> not just for what it says about history, but for what it says about the kinds of lives that we can live today, for what it says about our contemporary realities, right? A nation that is struggling to stay above water and that um, consistently has to find itself beseeching the international community to stay afloat economically, right? While it is led by someone who has been in power for over 20 years, is a nation who has, that has literally been denied the opportunity to fully grow, manifest its truest potential, and serve the people that reside within it. The people who call that place, that nation, home. Those who are citizens and residents of the land. And more often than not, those who suffer the greatest. And because this is just the politics of race and, and global anti-blackness. Um, those who suffer the most under these treacherous circumstances of colonialism and its ramifications and consequences are oftentimes those who are black, right? 
the black people with limited access to education, limited access to employment, who are ravaged by hunger and illness and incompetent structures and systems and policies that place them and their needs at the very, very bottom, these are the ones who suffer the most. These are the people who are expendable in times of crisis. And so we have to ask ourselves, um, what does it mean to hold ourselves accountable to the impact of coloniality, to the ways in which people have been possessed by domination, violence, and oppression, to the ways in which the genealogy and lineage of violence courses through our veins as a people and as a nation state. Who is responsible for the global South is a question. Who is responsible for the people who suffer within the global South? Those who are consistently victims to these legacies of domination and violence. Who is going to make sure that shiny figureheads who say the right things, articulate the right words, appease the right senses, are held accountable to the people they must govern and over whom they preside? Who will ensure that justice is served and that people do not unnecessarily lose themselves and their lives in the midst of disaster and crisis? Who intervenes when unnatural disaster occurs? What does it take to free a people from the bondages of slavery and the bondages of colonialism? Here in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, we are consistently experiencing the iterations of disaster in its natural and unnatural states. And this present eminent unyielding disaster of the volcano has put us in a kind of position. It has cornered us all and forced us to grapple with what are the realities of our existence as a people. The ways in which this nation and the systems that govern it and rule it and the people, the individual people who govern and rule it have failed us all, have failed Vincentians, have failed the people and continue to fail them. I want us to ponder the world that we live in. And I want us to consider truly what justice means. Who deserves it? Who deserves justice? Who deserves to be saved? 
And by that virtue, right, the negative shadow of that question is who doesn't deserve it? Who is not worthy? And how are we consistently being told, both directly and indirectly, who is and is not worthy of proper, equitable, fair, and just treatment? 